Hello and welcome to another episode of the Best Picture Must Be Doing Something Right podcast. I'm here with Jamie. Hello. And his extremely loud mic, <laughs> ruining my intro, but it's fine. Is it? Is it um, loud? Nah, it's good. You're good, mate. That might, um, have, just, that might have just been me. Uh, not a problem. Um, today's film is a film from 2019, and it's an interesting case study in how a film went into Oscars night as the favourite to take Best Picture, but ultimately losing reasons for that. But also discussing, we'll also discuss our personal thoughts on the film and the stuff it does well, it does badly, as per with this show. And that film is Sam Mendes' 1917, directed, of course, by Sam Mendes and written by Sam Mendes, his first writing credit um, as a co-writer alongside Christy Wilson Cairns. And the film stars Dean Charles Chapman, George Mackay, Daniel Mays, Colin Firth, Benedict Cumberbatch, and Andrew Scott. I believe. Yeah, well, a couple, um, a couple of them might be spoilers. To be honest, just uh, the way the film works. They're they're listed on IMDb. I'm not giving who they are in the film. It's fine. It's, um, something... You should have seen the film by now, anyway. It's something like it's very interesting because Sam Mendes has been very open about this film being inspired by stories that his grandfather told him about yeah. uh, World War World War One. You can definitely see how different uh, like narratives have been strung together, like different sections could be their own stories, and the stories that other people tell each other throughout the film definitely mm-hmm. feel very grounded in what we know about World War One. And it just gives this film like an, uh, the air of authenticity because it you know it's come from such an honest place. You can tell. Um, yeah, and I think it's um, Mendes. What do you call it when we've talked about this before? Um, passion project, isn't it? Yeah, definitely. Where you see someone that's influenced by something that's personal to them or close to them and getting their perspective on it. He's done war films before. He obviously did Jarhead in 2005 and um, has been obviously really critically acclaimed in the past, winning best picture and best director for his baby film in 1999 American Beauty and this was his first film since doing um, Spectre um, after doing a few James Bond films. This is more grounded suited to his kind of directorial style and I think it's arguably his best film um, it's my favourite film of 2019 and it was one that you know is it's a very moving film especially if you're from this country, I'd I'd say I think it means a lot more yeah. if you're British than if you're American viewing this film, and that that sort of explains its its awards trajectory as well. How it must be overperformed at the Baftas, but underperformed at the Academy Awards. It was a case of this is a film that is um, that is very suited to um, British audiences, and it was the highest grossing film in the UK uh, in 2020. Though. Not much competition. Um, let me just explain no. the plot synopsis. So the date um, that is explored in the film, it sort of like it sort of like goes over like twenty four hours, doesn't it? Um, around that. Um, yeah. Around sort more or less. Twelve and, hours. And the date like of that is April sixth, nineteen seventeen, as you see in the title as well. As a regiment assembles to wage war deep in en- enemy territory. Two soldiers are assigned to race against time and deliver a message that will stop 1,600 men from walking straight into a deadly trap. And this is very much 
a, a pre-email thing, isn't it? Like, if this existed now, <laughs> you just send a text and it's all good, isn't it? Oh, this is a different. This is this is pure like period piece in in terms yeah. of what it explores. <laughs> yeah, it is. But um, but you know, this is this is the extent that people have to make. This is a an actual thing, and I feel like that's a really good approach to making a uh, a war film. We saw the same with Steven Spielberg's uh, War Horse, which looks at the soldiers that look after the the horses during the war, and having. A specific focus on a on a role of of a specific soldier gives, I think, a greater insight into what it was like at the time. And here you have this idea of the runner, where you have someone that goes from one camp to another to deliver messages. And the authenticity of, of such is is very difficult to um, to come across because you know it could be a role, sorry, it could be a mole, could be a rat in in the system that's trying to. There's trying to be, you know, they're, they're very much, they've got to be very careful at that time because, you know, these things are, uh, as explained in the in the plot synopsis, like life and death. It's, uh, it's, it's, it's so fascinating seeing, like, how everything operated. We Obviously, because of the time frame, we only get a glimpse. And any, anybody who's up to date with, like, the historical side of it, like, I did this in history... But obviously, even that can only you can only look so so in depth, and you don't get that personal on the ground feel. But the the great thing about these kind of films is that you do <laughs> yeah. just to just to spell it out simply, you, you do get that like on the ground. You're you're literally with them, and that's it. So we haven't yeah. really talked about the technical, the the gimmick, so to speak, is that it's all in um, one take. It and looks of course, like it's one take. It's about forty different takes. There's only one yeah. visible um, cut in the entire film. I it's mean, all done through stitch editing. I remember first time I watched it and being very smug and very proud of myself whenever I was able to <laughs> capture when, when they did a uh, when they did yeah, a cut. Yeah. It was it's very inspired by um, Alfred Hitchcock's right. way of doing it. I can't remember yeah. what the film was called. Uh, Rope is the film. Rope, where you go behind a tree, pause set up the next scene and then continue from that same tree you're on a different take but from the perspective of the audience the cut is seamless yeah and it was also used in the best picture winner birdman as well yeah Um, definitely which was Uh, seen as revolutionary at the time when it wasn't really it was just no no you can tell and i feel like it's more effective in this film than in that film Whenever it goes into like um, a place that's darker than the outside they can do another cut there because Naturally, the camera and the the characters would have to adjust to the light. Yep. So, like in the moment where it goes dark, I think they'll probably hit a couple of cuts in there. Yeah. I can picture the same thing in Birdman. It's still very impressive, though. That's oh, not yeah, to take away yeah. from it at all. Like, Roger Deakins' cinematography is incredible, uh, and he deserves every accolade he received. I think he received over forty awards for this film, and it's mental that he went so long without winning an Oscar, and then he won a couple in the couple of years and he won for Blade Runner 2049 and um, what I'd say about the way that the cinematography works with that sort of like tracking shot is that it's what was it was talked about a lot at the time was that it plays like an RPG um, so a role playing game as you would if if you were controlling a, a specific soldier yeah. um, in a in a like video game behind. yeah and I feel like that makes it more accessible to a younger audience as well so it's sort of like you're following a specific character 
uh, or characters in this case um, along a specific journey, um, which I think makes it sort of like more intense as, as well because um, because you really get a real sense of your you're going to the very end with these characters and you're seeing everything that they're going to have to go through and every obstacle in their way in order to be successful in their mission. And this, this format means there isn't, there is no, aside from the main characters, there is no recurring characters like you would have in another film, like you'd have side plots and you'd have characters with their own arcs. But of course you can't get that. Because you're just going from person to person in this journey, like very Odyssey like, and uh, but what the film sort of makes up for it, or does its own little twist by having all these like one scene wonders played by very recognizable and talented actors, so that that's their way of like giving that a bit more impact is by having the audience, yeah, exactly, yeah. Yeah, so you recognise, so like in the opening scene, you see Colin Firth is the one that's giving the, you know, very famous uh, Oscar-winning actor. So you understand sort of like straight away the procedure of the situation, and I feel like the actors would feel the same way as they would yeah. the characters. Um, it's, it's like, yeah, exactly. It's like using the, the fame and the procedure of the actors to mirror their characters. I think that's yeah. a really, really brilliant way of putting it. I do think... I'd, or at least I wonder if the format and the lack of recurring characters and that tr- traditional like script structure might have hurt the film in terms of like connecting with audiences. Because I was telling you before mm. the show that although I, I can't quite put my finger on it, but the first time I watched it, I couldn't really, I didn't, it didn't really click with me. Although I found it very impressive, mm. but this time around it did. Like a, a rewatch of it. Definitely, I definitely connected with it much better. So yeah. I'm, I'm wondering if, if like general audiences might have felt the same, um, or if like voters might have felt the same. I don't know. I feel differently personally. I, I've only seen this film once, and I saw it in cinemas. I saw it in IMAX, and oh, um, good, good experience. Yeah, it was by accident, sort of thing. It was just the only screening that was on. I was sort of yeah. like, I was paying for it, and it sort of like, suddenly doubled the price of what I normally pay. I was like, hold on, <laughs> you know. But it was definitely worth it. Mostly, I feel like more for the Atmos sound than for the actual visuals. Like the sound is so impressive and it really takes you into these situations and you feel their sort of fear and and um, the pain that they go through having to go through specific things. And of course, um, when, something, when stuff suddenly happens, I bet the impact of that was just oh, fantastic. Yeah, yeah because the, so like the intensity of the scene with with the... In the bunker. They, they go to like, this house with like all the rats around and they have like oh, a yeah. string across all the things like you know any second that's going to be something bad's going to happen yeah exactly it's all going to collapse and everything we, we've so, seen as well before the show we can't really talk about the story too much and, and the format that's about as far as we can go into it's, it's that's a spoiler after min- spoiler that's about 20 after minutes after... <laughs> yeah yeah like a major thing happens like halfway through the film so it's sort of like it's it's hard. You would normally talk up to the point where uh, where the definitive things happen, the climactic yeah, scene. So you don't really like the climactic yeah. scene, but but like the climactic scene, it sort of changes the way that it's like it's like up and down, isn't it? The the way that the narrative structure is. So, so yeah, there's like climactic scene, climactic scene. So it says up down, up down all the time. So you don't get any kind of rest, which is 
actively I mean, there is rest, the... but it, yeah. there is rest, but it's it's a rest filled with tension. So it's not yeah. you can't actually relax. <laughs> yeah, but that's the point. It's actively reflecting what it's like to be a soldier. Yeah, where you know the enemy can attack any minute. You don't know about it. You don't know when it's coming, but you've got to be ready. And I feel like that helps in terms of engagement into the film. Like you find the case often with period films that it's hard to either connect with characters because of difference in in eras or or whether it's you know oh this doesn't reflect anything to do with with me or anything like that or and then you ultimately like disengage with what's going on but because of everything the stakes that you you know everything's planned out from the start you know what's going to happen uh, what's supposed to happen going into the film and then you get past all these obstacles in the way to sort of disrupt that and keep you on I your have, toes i have such sympathy for the the soldiers of the time because it yeah it was a mix of old-fashioned ideals about war and mm. modern te- then modern technology and the, how quickly it advanced and just get stuck in those awful conditions in the trenches for like four years. Yeah, I mean, we don't but see a lot of films about World War One these days. Yeah, I think that makes this film special in in that sense. I guess so, but because I feel like it's quite grim to spend an extended period of time in the trenches. I know there was a film yeah. a few years ago, the adaptation of Journey's End, which didn't do particularly well at the box office at all and didn't connect with audiences whatsoever. Partly because I think a lot of them would have studied it at school so they'd already know what's going to happen. But second of all, it's just not fun to spend time no. in the periods in the trenches, you know. Um, to have a film like this, have a completely different approach to how World War One films are made. You know, the tendency is to go towards World War Two if you're making a war film, or Vietnam because they're more, you know, there's more things you can do visually. To to have this kind of visual style put on um, a film set in 1917 as well and set in World War One, I, I think is a very bold thing to do, and should help audiences better understand what it was like. You know, f- for someone like myself. Um, I don't often feel patriotic, but I did watching this film because you see, see, you know, this has happened a hundred years later. You know, it's us in that situation. We're the same. We're yeah, the ones. Same we're age, just as yeah. we're the ones that will be called up and and have the same sort of like we're about as ready as they are, and they're 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 just like left as sort of like a number. Or we need a certain number of of troops out there just thrown over the top of the trench. Yeah. yeah the, the generations is gone in that like and i feel like the the focus on having these these lead characters that you sort of you hear you hear stories from that they say about when they're back home and you understand their personalities and stuff like that i think is massively important in portraying uh in any actual film really because like i massively disconnect with action films in general because of the way that the death counts are done where it's just like so it's just mindless violence all the time and you don't have any kind of connection and really really you you have no yeah there's no after effects of 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 death to the film so i feel like um this this film of course it does that to a certain extent because it has to portray you know what it was like there were thousands of people that were sent to their early graves for no reason really um but and 
partly just from mis- mis- miscommunication, you know, the whole idea of the message thing. There's, there's loads of examples of this. This is just one of them. And there'll be ones where the message did get there in time and there's, there's example, there'll be examples where the message wasn't less in time and then they did go into the, the trap and stuff like that. So, so um, yeah, we're really focusing on like one story. Yeah, and, and it really helps having George Mackay and Dean Charles Chapman at the centre of that. I think the performances are really excellent and... You know they're they're in the cast of well established, well acclaimed actors, and they more than hold their own. And they feel like in if you have less actors in those roles, the the film really struggles to be as as emotionally resonant as it is. I do notice I'm looking at the accolades page now. Not a lot of love in the uh, the actor categories, is there? No, that's a joke in my opinion. George Mackay should have been nominated for best actor this year. Um, his performance is absolutely brilliant and it just makes no sense to me i i don't know if it's because of the genre that it seemed like lesser um i think it does come down to the 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 technical aspects dealing the show i really do think even though his 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 performance really would deserve it do you want to talk about the accolades yeah um so this was a film that was that set itself as a front runner basically after the golden globes when it won best um best motion picture drama um, which is sort of out of nowhere, and one one best director for Sam Mendes. So, uh, and from that point, it sort of like kept on winning, but noticeably, it didn't do as well at the guilds. Did it win PGA? That's the important one. It did win PGA. That's what that's what made everyone suggest. Like most people went into Oscars night thinking it was going to win best picture. Ultimately, despite leading in nominations as well, um, it only went home with three awards. Which, if you compare uh, from yeah. the Oscars, if you compare that to it's BAFTAs, so which a couple of weeks before it won seven BAFTAs out of nine nominations, at uh, the Oscars it won three out of six, seven, eight, nine, ten nominations. Three out of ten. I think uh, definitely. I mean, I, I'm very happy with Parasite winning that year. Yeah, uh, I think so. but. It's, it definitely feels like it. It really stole 1917's thunder. <laughs> it, I think uh, it's, 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 it, it might have won in another year. It might yeah, it's the impact of passion, isn't it? The passion yeah. vote. And what well, was nominated that year, Joseph? What else was nominated for best picture? I've I've seen them all, but um, there was. Uh, Trying to remember off the top of my head. Um, Do you read them out? Ferrari, Joker, it. Little Women, uh, Jojo Rabbit. Um, the Irishman marriage story, and uh, Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, and of course the uh, 1917 and the winner Parasite. Very, yeah. it's a strong year. It's it was such strong a year. strong. There's year. a couple of films I don't like in there, but we'll move past that. I think I don't think it's. I disagree <laughs> with you on that one. I don't think it was a strong year. I think, I think it was, it was strong of... in in the films that were good. But not oh, so that's good. Interesting. With, yeah, yeah. I feel like there's a couple of mediocre films in there. There's a couple of other possible winners that that could have taken it. Definitely. I don't think so though. Uh, that's well, the thing. That's why, that's... I think Marriage Story had a good chance. No, uh, Little Women. I didn't. Also didn't. had a good chance. No, they didn't. No. Do you remember, Do you remember what the odds were? What were the odds saying? What, what? Well, well, I remember sort of like, I know a lot of people switched to Parasite like like a week before. It was after it won screenplay 
at the BAFTAs over Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, where it's sort of like the momentum shifted, where people are saying, hold up, this is getting awards that it wasn't normally, and it isn't just winning in foreign language, right? So that's what made people suggest that there's more love here. Because because when you win, after winning Best Picture, there's always a route to Best Picture, where you've got to see where is it winning in other categories. And as soon and it was at, the, at that time it was just going to win foreign language, I believe. So as soon as it sort of like picked up, was going to pick up screenplay. And then I remember Oscars night. I normally sleep through the Oscars, but um, but I like woke up in the middle of the night, checked the results, and it was still going on. Of course it was because they're really long. Yeah. <laughs> but um, and I just saw that Bong Joon Ho won Best Director, which I think is more shocking than it than Parasite winning Best Picture to be honest I was like oh yeah that's done that's Parasite winning Best Picture then it, it, that's that's all it rides on was like Sam Mendes was so comfortable in in director for yeah, so long any other year that would have been because I don't think The Irishman had any chance in any of its categories no it was the early Once thing, Upon right? a Time in Hollywood is is one of the films people who, who don't really pay attention they think that's the kind of film that will win but I never had it. I never thought for a second that that had. That was another one where it was a summer one, where yeah, where was... early predictions, everyone had it near the top because everyone knew it was going to get nominated. But it it just died a death because jo- of... Joker I liked, but it was only Joker. ever only ever for Joaquin Phoenix that I had. I thought that deserved the win. And <laughs> yeah, the thing is with Joker as well, it's a very divisive film. So, yeah. Again, with the ballot system, a lot of a lot of people might put it number one, but then again, a lot of people just leave it off entirely. Oh, fair enough. Best, best original score it won as well. Yeah. Okay. But, well, the thing with Parasite that. is that it had the passion to get the number one votes, but also yeah. it was a, such a good film that most people would have it in their top five anyway. If you don't have it in your top five, I think you're mental. Um, even though I do prefer other films, uh, I. Put Ford vs Ferrari and definitely nineteen seventeen above it in my personal. Um, order. I don't think Ford versus Ferrari had. I don't think that was ever going to win. Best no, it wasn't. Ever. But I was going to. I was saying that that's my. That was my second favorite of the year. I Both the uh, sound Ferrari. winners. Um, <laughs> sound editing Ford versus Ferrari and sound mix in nineteen seventeen. The last ever winners of those categories. Yeah, as well. I know. And um, 1917 also won, uh, I forgot to mention, the cinematography and obviously, well deserved. and uh, visual effects, which yeah. I, which is an interesting one because it's a very rare that a prestige war film would win visual effects. It was up against blockbusters. Yeah, that's fascinating. The but... last film to be even be nominated in the category as a prestige, a prestige war film like this was uh, Toro, Toro, Toro in 1974. But so does that speak very to rare. the Academy's perspective of the film? How they viewed it? Do they view it as more of a blockbuster than um, a prestige film? I guess so. Yeah, like you look at things like production design, makeup, and hairstyling, which you would normally associate with your period films. Yeah, um, it getting nominated but not winning, and not being nominated in costume design either. I do, I, mean, I do think there is potentially some genre bias in them. I mean, I look at the other stuff in them categories, like uh, Maleficent. And yeah. uh, that's it. That's the one Left that stands out. Is that the second <laughs> I just, one? That's for make, that's makeup and hairstyle, and that's what really just jumped out to me then. <laughs> yeah. yeah and then the in uh, sound categories, you often get like uh, blockbuster-type films, like Star Wars this year was in sound editing. Yeah. Which is, but, of course, the thing that makes it stand out is that it's in all these categories. The thing they is, were... though, like I thought when the nominations came out, as soon as I saw it in screenplay... 
it was like it got into screenplay. I was like, hold up, it's, this is going to win Best Picture now. Yeah, that 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 should have been a good sign because they normally like we were talking about Dunkirk the other week. That film wasn't nominated in the screenplay, and for like our oh, genre bias sort of thing, and you can't really use the genre bias for not having like George Mackay in there because he was he wasn't really in contention in the first place. So I don't think you can really consider that either. If I was thinking about this, like, oh, is genre bias really the reason why it didn't get any acting nominations like Dunkirk did, for example? But yeah. then again, you have Andrew Garfield in Axel Ridge, you have Bradley Cooper in American Sniper. You know, recent examples of of actors playing soldiers in war films which that weren't um that were then being nominated anyway so i don't think that was the case too much um it's best picture defeat was very disappointing for myself because i, I was very biased um I, I did want this film to win this picture so when everyone was talking about how parasite winning was like the best thing to happen in 2020 i was like uh, yeah even that wasn't any good <laughs> but um yeah it's, it's one of those things isn't it um I do think, possibly because it didn't cater enough to an American audience, I think you'd probably put oh, it definitely, the... yeah, yeah. It's not like, because if you think about it, the last British film to win Best Picture was, I wouldn't classify 12 Years a Slave as a British film personally, because it's... Is it going to King's Speech? It will be King's Speech, yeah, that's yeah. probably one. And that's, you know, you know how much the Americans love the royals. So, oh, absolutely, absolutely. And, and then if you look at other British films, it's often the case where it's either um, portraying people of very privileged backgrounds or of another nation so some like some of millionaire for example is portraying uh, an indian lifestyle rather than it despite it being a british film it was yeah you know it's not recognizable as british so uh per se so um yeah and it's like gandhi you could use the same example of there, there are obviously exceptions to the rule but i, I agree, do think I this agree. is this is very much too british for the american like because it shows like british success to a certain extent anyway um, rather than and it really like, is on these like these are on the ground American. level like working class just British British guys out yeah. there fighting. Yeah. Not much. The, there's only so much of it that the Americans can connect to. Yeah, which um, is fair. Fair enough. Yeah, I get yeah. that. Uh, I think we'll just leave it there for the non-spoiler section. We're gonna go and talk about some of the major plot one, points. One more thing. One more okay. thing. I can't wait. I did. I did not remember that Brad Pitt won Best Supporting Actor. Yeah, that's it. That's all I wanted to say. <laughs> <laughs> he won everything that year. It's yeah, a weird it's one. I think he did. It? Did he sweep? Yeah. Um, yeah, yeah. In, uh, well, it was a good performance, but wow. Yeah, exactly. I really thought. I I actually think of Once Upon a Time in Hollywood more of a genre film. Uh, than what yeah. will traditionally win in these categories, but, no, but we'll, his performance wasn't a genre performance. Oh, it? it was, but it was brilliant. Yeah, um, we'll anyway. talk about that another time, possibly. Anyway, that's interesting. Clifton. Trying to get back to sort of, like, <laughs> yeah. Basically, if you have not seen this film, I don't know why you haven't. Come on, it's available on Amazon Prime. If you haven't watched it, you can yeah. watch that uh, in the UK on Amazon Prime, and definitely do check it out. I thoroughly recommend it. And um, but if so. We'll leave it there. I'd suggest turning off the podcast now if you have not seen the film. But if you have and you want to hear our thoughts on the latter stages of the plot, then continue listening. Okay. Right. Let's talk about spoilers. Let's talk yeah. about the elephant in the room. Middle middle of the film. It goes full psycho, as in the Hitchcock film, rather than psychotic. Um, <laughs> by killing off one of its main characters, Dean Charles Chaplin. Yeah. 
So something we've never been able to talk about when we've we've talked about this film before on uh, yeah. on the radio, we, we cannot talk about this, which is, is such a it's an interesting choice when a film decides to do this because it affects word of mouth. Yes. Uh, but of course, I don't think this film wasn't a flop, so whatever. <laughs> no. It's like, but it's, it's it's interesting. It's really it's it's tragic, but as from a script perspective, it's really um fun, <laughs> for lack yeah. of a better word, because it's so surprising. And from that moment on, the it changes the really, space, doesn't it? Yeah, absolutely. Because it becomes a different narrative in itself. That it was sort of like to get back to um to his brother, um to let him know about what's happened. And, and yeah, the, like it, the, it's more personal because George McKay didn't care really. He was just helping out his friend, yeah. And he's just like with him, like even after he nearly he died in the explosion, nearly died in the explosion, he was still with him just to like stick with him. And then when he died, it became a bit more personal. Yeah, like he has to find his, he has to deliver the message, but he has to find his brother. Yeah, played by Richard Madden. Yeah, another no, one's been Yeah, yeah. Um, but that that scene is is incredible, like because it comes out of nowhere. You have the big scene with the the church on fire and everything like that, and they they go and save the the man who goes and turns against them, doesn't he? Um, yeah, no, the church it, wasn't on fire. Uh, the, was it the, not that scene? Uh, the plane crashed into like a half built barn. Oh, okay. then uh, like. The barn, I think that's later. That's when the, it's night time. There's a lot of yeah, fire. Yeah, yeah, I know, I know the one you mean. Uh, which, by the way, there isn't many because of the format. There isn't many opportunities for like uh, beautiful stills. Yeah. Because obviously you have to like stay with, uh, stay on the ground with the characters, and it's very like grimy. But that is one of the moments when it when it comes back from the blackout. Yeah. That's one of the like really beautiful like, cinematography award-winning shots yeah because i feel like the pace goes up a lot more um after the after it gets sniped down yeah um which is which causes the blackout scene like the scene before that where after the after that the one that stuck with me the most and i remember being absolutely brilliant at the time was after uh after george uh dean Taylor chapman's character dies um george mckay's character has to go on the 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 back of the car with all the other soldiers to get a lift to go somewhere to one of the one of the French towns and you just have to sit with them the whole time because of the in, in, in sorry uninterrupted shots you sort of like there's no chance of uh, moving this bit on or anything like that you just have to sit and reflect on what's just happened beforehand which makes it so much more emotional. Yeah. In terms of understanding their their friendships, sort of and they're like the the other soldiers in the the truck are like all joking about like gallows humor sort of thing. Yeah, I just say like ah, oh, I just can't be bothered. Yeah. <laughs> it's, it's still processing, and it's, that was quite fun though. Uh, the, the idea of just like getting to sit with these new characters and listen yeah. to their stories—that's one of the things I was referring to earlier. Yeah, and then of course they 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 reach a little roadblock. They have to get out of mud. Yeah, yeah. And then they reach a literal roadblock and they can't <laughs> go any further. It's just like conflict after conflict. <laughs> yeah. And you just feel like so sorry for him. Yeah. But, oh my god. But it does feel very realistic. It doesn't feel cartoonish. Like this sort of thing would have happened. Yeah. 
And um, so after the blackout scene, we obviously get we get close, we get some more different kind of emotional scenes, but um, close a personal scene with the French woman and the little baby, um, which I've, which breaks up the film quite nicely as well. It gives you a break from the that is an actual know, constant, quiet moment, yeah, yeah, the the, the constant uh, fire and stuff. But then you have to move on to when to moving towards the climactic scene. Like I didn't again, like you the have, river you scene. Have the, the scene in the river. And I the, didn't like that. What the river scene? Yeah, it just, it's important it, though. It felt a bit not not because of the story and the way it was shot because they have yeah. to stick to the format. It felt very yeah. restricted. Oh yeah, that's that's uh, one of those kind of scenes that you would normally see like have so many cuts. Yeah, although I did like when it gets to the end of the river. Now that was uh, yeah. horrifying. Oh yeah, <laughs> uh, we're in oh, spoilers grim, now, so I guess I'll just when it gets to the the bodies at the end yeah. of, the, of the blog, that is. That's why it got nominated for makeup and hairstyling. By the way, it's how realistic they look. That was remarkable. Um, Fantastically well. But then, so much effort went into this film. Yeah, because the the, the important thing about the being a river is that um they the the message was in a in like a tin box and um that obviously the famous scene the famous discussion that they had at the beginning of the film was about how uh dean child chapman character sold one of his medals for a bottle of wine and how um judge mckay's character feels strongly about how um a medal is more than a piece of tin and the whole point is that the the message was saved by being in a tin case so that's yeah. why that's why the river scene is important and then well, from that you get, get that why. you get the completely the really memorable scene of the uh in the forest with the singing soldier like that was just mind blowing the, the last little break before that really fantastic sequence that's unfortunately in the trailers yeah, that was stupid. I would not have done that if if I was in charge of putting that trailer together because it really is such it's it's breathtaking. Well, yeah, because it's the it's the big decision, shot. isn't it, to yeah. to go out of the trenches to go into the battlefield so you can make a full sprint over to find Bandit Combat's character to give him the message. Also, it shows him by himself, and I yeah. would have tried to limit. Uh, as much footage as possible, I would have tried to limit of him being by himself. Yeah. Because if you're paying attention to the trailers, you can kind of, you guess at some point they're going to get separated. And because of the format of the film, yeah, <laughs> it's, yeah. it's not going to be cutting back and forth. Yeah. Yeah. Um, that could have been done a lot better, but I don't, it didn't ruin the film. No, no. No, or anything like that. It just gives you a different perspective on that. And, um, I really One like how best... the film is uh, bookended as well with the tree. Yeah, and him just that... finally getting to relax. Yeah, that that that's so effective to me. Like, it's the stuff like that that you remember. And um... I'll tell you what I remember, Joseph. Yeah. Uh, if we're going to talk about any spoiler thing, we have to talk about his hand. Yeah. That that oh, that sequence where they're going across no man's land. Yeah. It's so fantastic and intense, but then. <laughs> So they fall into a uh, they fall into a ditch like a bombed out ditch, and uh, George McKay accidentally gets his hand knocked into into like a dead body in the pit. Oh, right, oh, that's, yeah. Do you remember that? Yeah, yeah. How could you forget? That is awful. Mm. Like, uh, that's another makeup and hairstyle. Yeah, moment. yeah, yeah. And, yeah and, and towards the end, you also get that really 
you, you get the gratifying scene of um, him telling Richard Madden about what's happened as well. Because that's the only time, this is the first time he can actually reveal sort of what's happened properly. Yeah. And, well, yeah, and, and first time he can talk to someone about it. Yeah. Because <laughs> he sort of hints at what happened to um, the people in the truck, but he's yeah. just not ready to talk about it and they don't have time. So he finally gets to just like actually talk to someone. Yeah, because like... it's the first time since since he's delivered the message as well, and he's sort of the hero in the situation. But then again, not really because he's you know a little bit too late. I mean, what happens after this? I, I wonder. Is he just back? Because it is. He talks about how he'd have to go back to his regiment, surely. Yeah, that's going to be hopefully a less eventful trip back. Yeah. And, it's like he's so fascinating the way he talked about not wanting to go home and leave. Yeah. Because it makes him not want to come back and it's just so much more painful. Yeah. He's, so, that, he's such an interesting character. Yeah, that's why it's often been compared to All Quiet on the Western Front. Though obviously the British version of that, well, All Quiet on the Western Front is um German based because that, that film explores a lot about um uh, about feelings towards home and being out on the battlefield and stuff like yeah. that. So um so yeah it's completely understandable why it sort of like those kind of approaches. Um overall what are your overall thoughts on the film? Uh yeah, I mean even the story is fantastic, but even just for the cinematic experience alone, if people haven't watched it yet and I've got to this point, there is still so much to discover by watching this. Yeah. Definitely, I should have given it more credit at the time. Yeah, it, it was a film that I, I I remember we did a show on the radio where we were talking about our favourite films of each year, yeah, the 2010s, and it was a case where I went through 2019 where there wasn't really any films that I sort of like blew me away at all, and I remember seeing this film a week before we did that show, and I was like able to wax lyrical about it because like this is the best film of 2019, and this is <laughs> this is like this is absolutely incredible. This film's just just blew me away and everything like that and i was so pleased i was able to do that because because it deserves it it's, it's uh, an absolutely brilliant film i don't know if i'll be able to rewatch it again anytime soon just because um you don't want to sort of like tear that away because because um a lot of my feelings towards the film are towards the cinematic experience of it i don't think a rewatch might do it as justice in the way that i see it as i remember my mate telling me that he watched it on his laptop and i was like what are you doing with your, on a laptop man <laughs> sort of like i um, um i remember for that show i was stuck between joker and once upon a time in a hollywood yeah and now i can officially say my favorite film of 2019 is parasite yeah no, <laughs> ruined it. although um, 1917 very close do yeah. watch it yeah perfect time to leave it there um so um thank you very much for listening to this episode uh if you want to hear more of our previous episodes you can do that on all the good platforms for listening to podcasts spotify apple Podcasts, google podcasts all that good stuff you can also subscribe to us on youtube where all of our uh, podcasts are published on there as well and um thank you for everyone that's listened so far i really hope you've uh, enjoyed uh, these shows and i hope to put more out for you in the in the future and um thank you very much for listening